This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. All right, welcome to Sportsbook. It's the Super Bowl weekend, Super Bowl 52. And if you're a listener of the podcast, you know that I am a unrepentant, unapologetic, annoying Boston fan. So I'll be watching my team play. The Patriots and the Eagles will face off on Sunday. All season, you've heard us on this podcast, Yahoo Finance, business reporters, sports business types. We've had executives. We've had the CEOs of DraftKings and FanDuel. You've heard types like this discuss what to make of the NFL season and the TV ratings decline and all of the different controversies hanging over the season. But we haven't heard from someone who's actually been there. And so, very delighted to have as our guest today, Sean Merriman, former NFL veteran, three-time Pro Bowler and All-Pro. Hey, Sean. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Great, man. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So, yeah, it's Super Bowl week. Uh, Now, you, unfortunately, you haven't been to the Super Bowl. You have certainly been to the playoffs. Uh, Bring us through what the postseason is like being in the league. Uh, Does the feeling actually change, or is the key you know, pretending like it's any other week and trying not to give into the hype and the pressure? Well, you you can not try to give into the hype and the pressure, but come on, let's face it, it's the biggest stage. At that point in time, unless you've already played in the playoffs multiple times or, uh, you know, played in the Super Bowl, it's the biggest stage that most athletes have ever played on. So it's hard to keep your emotions and, um, you know, kind of the the jitterness and the, the, the anxiety you have going into game week. You want to approach every day like it's a regular practice and, you want to go through the same habits and watching the film and waking up at the same time. But the fact is, it, it's not. It's not anything like you've experienced. So it's hard to remain normal do, during this course and week. But the great teams, the great teams find a way for it to be normal. Yeah. You know, being on the Chargers, uh, you obviously played the Patriots a lot over your years in the league and overlapped with Brady and, and Belichick. I mean, that's a duo that's been at it for years and years and years. What was that like uh, when you guys faced the Patriots? Did they stand out to you as a team that actually, you know, does their notorious prep and their rigorous training show on the field? Or do you think it's just, look, they happen to have one of the best coaches ever, one of the best quarterbacks ever, and that's all it really was? You know, for us, and one thing that I've noticed um, playing the Patriots multiple times in the playoffs was, number one, the preparation that they have uh, week in and week out. Uh, how they prepare to succeed against any team who has their faults. You know, they want to capitalize off of your mistakes. Uh, they look and see any way they can single out your weakest point of your of your team and do just that. And they'll do it over and over and over again because that's what, what makes them great, too. Uh, yeah, you have arguably the, the best quarterback and the best head coach of all time on the same team in the same organization. Um, and you've shown what they've done over the past 17, 18 years. So, um you know, it's really, really hard when you're playing guys like that and you're not experienced. You know, we played them back in 2006 when I was with the Chargers. Right. Uh, we probably had the better team. We had the better names. We had LaDainian Tomlinson and Antonio Gates at tight end and Vincent Jackson at wide receiver. We had guys all over the field. But Absolutely. None, but none of us had played on that level before. So for us, it was a whole different experience. And for them, it was a walk in the park because they've already been there several times already. So that's really interesting because when we get either an NFC championship game or an AFC championship game or a Super Bowl matchup, talking heads and pundits often talk about experience. And they say, well, this quarterback isn't experienced in the postseason. And a lot of people sort of brush that off and say, oh, come on. But it sounds like you really think there's something to that about experience mattering. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, the first trait that always happens, you can tell the inexperience, uh, is the uncharacteristic penalties that happen. Um, the Patriots, they won't have any penalties. They might have one or two penalties the entire game. The other team, because you haven't been in that situation before, you don't know how big and how important that moment is. Uh, guys jump off sides. Guys have holding penalties when they don't have to hold a pass interference call because they just get the anxiety that, oh, my God, so a wide receiver is about to catch a pass on me on the big stage. So they want to panic. And what happens when you panic? You have a pass interference. Uh, the Patriots bank on you making those mistakes and making those decisions. And that's when they go and capitalize off of it. You know, two weeks ago on this podcast, I chatted with some of my football fan colleagues when we still had four teams left, and we talked about what would be the best possible matchup for fans, for the league, for ratings. And even though, you know, a couple of the guys I was with are Giants fans and they hate the Patriots, they sort of admitted that of those four final teams that had made it to the championship weekend, boy, the league better hope the Patriots are in it because it's small market teams. You've got Jacksonville Jaguars, Minnesota. Now, the other argument would have been, well, actually, it's great to get some fresh blood in there, Vikings, Jags. But but I think a lot of people said, oh, no, in, in terms of interest at a national level, boy, one of the two teams better be the Patriots. What's your take on that? Do you think that Pat's Eagles is a good matchup for the league, good for fans, or is it too kind of East Coast regional? No, I think it's a good game. Obviously, it would have been a much bigger game if Carson Wentz was still healthy and he was able to play. Oh, yeah. That, that would have magnified or been one of the biggest, I think, Super Bowls because you have Carson Wentz, who is, is probably uh, up for the MVP at some time this year. And you yeah. have, uh, you know, has a bright future. And, and it almost, in a sense, would have been him passing the the, uh, the torch to him if, if Carson would have gone and win. Uh, but now you have another storyline uh, line developing, which, you know, Nick Foles, I mean, you know, this is a guy who at one point, when people, I think, forget about this, he was considered to be an MVP in the league. You know, he was up for talks at one point uh, when he had that firing year. Yeah. And now he's back on the biggest stage again. Uh, so if he's able to go out there and, and get a W and win a Super Bowl against the New England Patriots, uh, not only is he going to make himself a lot of money, <laughs> he's going to make himself <laughs> a lot of money, but I think there's, a, there's also a big story that comes with that. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Foles. Uh, you know, we can sort of get into whether if he wins this Super Bowl or even if he doesn't, does he have a good case to be made that he should be a starter somewhere else? You know, it would be so weird to see him go back and be a backup. But separately from that, there's uh, a story I wrote today or, or learned of yesterday and wrote up today that is a good thing to ask you about. Uh, just kind of realized on a, on a small scale, it's not a story that has been reported widely, but Quietly, uh, both of these quarterbacks are Under Armour sponsored. Everyone knows that Brady is Under Armour, I think. That's, you know, they use him, obviously. But uh, last summer, Under Armour confirmed to me that they signed Nick Foles to a endorsement deal. And who knows how long that lasts. And it, it's just kind of interesting considering he was only a backup. They had no idea he'd end up starting in the Super Bowl. But I, I wrote a story about this today. Now, the problem, of course, is Nike's the on-field jersey provider. So if you're an Under Armour guy and you're out there in the NFL – all you can do is wear Under Armour cleats and gloves. So who knows if fans even really notice those things. But considering you've got your brand lights out and you know you went through a lot legally to wrestle that away from, from Nike, but uh, how important do you think that logos are? Do fans notice that? And do you think Foles being Under Armour sponsored, I mean, if he has a great game, could he become a more marketable guy? Yeah, it, it's huge. Um, and it's the reason why the big boys go and they get entire leagues, why Nike's able to go and, uh, you know, capture that platform across the, the whole National Football League. Um, you know, Under Armour, what, what Under Armour's 
has been really good at in the past is finding players. Right. And finding players to represent yes. the brand. And they sometimes even get guys before they are who they are. Uh, so I think they do a great job of that. And, you know, let's be, let's be, you know, honest about it. I mean, Under Armour doesn't even have a shoe business without Steph Curry. Absolutely. You know, they don't have a shoe business what, what, uh, you know, without him going out and performing and being who Steph Curry is. Uh, so being so players in, in that spotlight are absolutely the most important part of, of brand building in general. You know, I I would love got to get Nick Foles. <laughs> I would have got you know I would have signed Nick Foles and lights out before you know before them. But you know, I, I always give Under Armour credit when it comes to that because if you look at you know the three or four biggest sports, they have the biggest stars. They do, um, or some of the biggest stars, and they and they've gotten uh, you know these partnerships, what I call them partnerships now, uh, with these players long before they became exactly who they are. Yeah, that's exactly right. Another example, of course, that I mentioned in the story, Jordan Spieth in golf. Uh, Under Armour signed him before he was such a big face, and then he went on to be obviously the, the best young player out there. So they have some good, forefight, uh, some good foresight with their marketing team. Let's stick with Lights Out a little bit. Uh, tell me about how you're trying to grow that as a brand, you know, as a, as a household name. It's really hard to become more widely recognized. I mean, everyone knows Nike, Under Armour, Adidas, but you want to get more household recognition. You're in more stores now. What else are you doing to try to grow that name, Lights Out? Well, for us, it's um, you know, it's having really a good combination. For, for one, we have a great partner in Tilly's. Um, Tilly's has been a great partner of ours. Obviously, they have over two hundred doors alone, um, but they're they're a really really strong store. Uh, the product and just the, the the name and the customer is only top notch. And um, for us, we we look to go across different platforms. Um, you know, we have an MMA guy. We have a, a snowboarder that's coming aboard. Um, you know, my, my idea, and if I always felt like this because I've been surrounded by so many sports, even when I played football, um, you know, uh, most of my friends were MMA guys. They were, uh, you know, they all uh, competed in the X Games. They all competed on different uh, motocross. And Southern California has been a hub for that. So these guys were my close friends. And I would go to the races. I would go to track meets. I would go to things my whole entire football career. And that's why, for me, I became very versed in multiple sports. Uh, one thing I've noticed in all sports, I don't care what it is or what you do, you have to train. Um, you know, I think a lot of people get it confused that, you know, because, uh, you know, my NASCAR driver, right, and my NASCAR driver runs uh, and works out in the gym to stay in shape. You know, what he, what he does, he trains and lights out. He works out. Um, and what I've been able to do is add a fashionable piece and a fashionable component um to that to really make it, uh, you know, really hit on all cylinders. And that's why we're really having success because I think every there's a performance in everything you do, right? There's a performance in everything you do, but you want to be comfortable, but you also still want to be fashionable. And that's where we really hit the mark. That's great. And obviously the, the challenge is always making sure that you're investing your money wisely. I mean, I think people forget, you know, athletes make a certain amount of money, but once it stops from the sport, it stops. And that's why we see a lot of these guys lose their money. They all seem to want to own something with their name on it. You know, in many cases, it's a car wash or, or, or a car dealership or a restaurant. And we just see so many of those ventures fail. Uh, do you have any interesting kind of stories for us on either times that you've faced business trouble, bad stories you've avoided, things you've seen others do and you thought, boy, note to self, don't do that, or just any thoughts on why so many athletes in their business ventures after the sport struggle? Yeah, um, 
you know, I, I think the biggest reason why guys struggle is because it's, they have that transitional period where they're trying to figure out what do I do. Um, one thing about athletes, athletes have the strongest mentality, right? The most disciplined human beings on the planet Earth. Once you figure out what that thing is you want to you, you want to transition to, what that thing is to get you out of bed, what made you go to the gym every day and practice and play through pain or run, you know, a, another 40 yard dash, you know, you're tired in the fourth quarter and you find a way to push through. Uh, once you take that mentality, which I was able to identify, me personally speaking, once, uh, you know, I was able to identify that and put it towards what I'm doing now, it's very easy to, to be the best at what you do. Um, and being the best at what you do, you have to build a team. Well, guess what? I've been playing on the team my, practically my whole life, so I can tell you about leading and building a team. Uh, once an athlete figures that out, I think it would be very, very easy uh, to make the transition. And then on top of that, be the best at what they do. Mm. Well, so we've talked about the Super Bowl matchup on the field, and we've talked about your business. Let's circle back to the business of the NFL, which has been a big talking point on this podcast all season. We actually launched this sportsbook podcast just in time for the start of this season, and we really have focused on the future of the NFL, uh, how viewership has changed. So as I mentioned in my intro, as you know, primetime TV ratings down again this season. Now, I'm always very careful to caveat the NFL is still the biggest gig in town in terms of live television. Uh, 44 of the 100 most watched television events in 2017 were NFL games. So this is not a dead sport. This is not a dying sport. But I did posit the possibility at the end of the year uh, that it is plateauing. You know, it, it is possible that the national popularity of the, of the NFL peaked or is approaching a peak. And that would be okay. But uh, look, ratings down again for the second season in a row. A lot of political noise around the league. As you watched the NFL this season, what were your thoughts about all this? Well, you know, there was a lot to go on. And I'll start from the Colin Kaepernick situation. And regardless of whatever side you stand on or whatever you believe that should have happened, it made people feel a certain type of way. Either they was going to, you know, be upset, not watch the games, or boycott it. Whether they were going to watch it, but not watch it the same way they were going to watch it before, or that some people just didn't care. Uh, so that that was that talk uh, in, on the political side. Two, there's so many different ways and platforms to watch the game now. Whether it's live streaming on apps, whether it's social media, um, and I'm and I can speak on this because you know now I'm running the businesses, I'm running you know a few different businesses, mainly lights out, where I'm not in front of a TV all the time. So if I want to catch a highlight or watch something part of the game, I would watch a 30-minute clip that's on Twitter or Instagram. Right. Or I would follow the updates. I would listen to some kind of radio if I'm stuck in L.A. traffic, which you can you can hear about two full football games in, in L.A. <laughs> stuck in traffic. Uh, but there's so many different ways to watch the game now or find out about the game that you don't necessarily have to sit in front of TV. So um, I, I'm not surprised that the, the viewership is down. Uh, the stadiums are still going to be packed. Uh, the t people are still going to watch the game. It's still going to be a growing game as far as numbers. Now, to get back to what they were doing when it was at its peak, it's going to be very tough, but it's still it's, it's going to be bigger than, like you said, some of the most TV shows or uh, things on TV in general. As you watch the league now, and I'm sure you have guys you're in contact with who are still playing, 
Do you think that anything has changed since your time? I mean, not that much time has passed, and yet, just as you say, a lot of outside factors have sure shifted. Uh, TV, behavior, habits, the internet, social media, and then to bring in an outside comparison, a lot of people say, well, look at the NBA, where it's so fun for fans. You know, people talk about NBA Twitter and how the, the guys in the NBA seem to be more vocal and public and, you know, back and forth and jokes and they use social media. What do you think has changed for the NFL since you're playing this? Well, the, as far as the NBA, the NBA is, is uh, ahead of the curve. Um, you know, they are ran really by the stars of their team. Um, you know, you hear the LeBron James, the Kevin Durant, uh, Dwayne Wade, or anyone else, Chris Paul, these guys who are vocal leaders. Well, the NBA is about the players. The NFL are about the teams. Uh, and that's where they're different lives. So you have a, a player that's interesting, um, you, know, you know, King James or, or uh, you know, one of the other guys on the, on the team, Steph Curry. People start to care about them and the person, and then they care about the team. Then they care about the organization. The NFL is just about the team. Uh, so when you have that happen, I think this the NFL, it, they're getting better, but they're, they're still a little far behind in how fast they're able to move. They're starting to catch up when it comes to, uh, you know, being socially conscious about certain things. They're starting to catch up to, uh, you know, the, the media outlets, the different ways and platforms to promote the players. They're starting to catch up, but the NBA, they can maneuver so much faster. And these other leagues can maneuver so much faster. They know what's it, what's hot, what's now. We're going to get on that. We're going to do it. The NFL is like, oh, okay, we see that could be it. Let's look into it. And you want one, two, three years go by. Okay, then now they, you know, three years later, they finally get on that platform or promoting it that way. Well, the, NFL, the NBA and these other leagues have already been on it for three years. That's really where the issue lies. Yeah, I agree. In fact, I think a lot of it is because the league so focuses on the shield. It's sort of like uh, a couple years ago, there was controversy over people being frustrated or different teams being frustrated about the social media policy. And it's because the NFL wants people to think of themselves as fans of the NFL. And it's like, well, no one says, oh, I'm a big fan of the NFL. They say, I'm a fan of the Chargers or I'm a fan of the Patriots. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt about it. And the NBA, they promote the players. And then whatever team the player is on, then that fan supports the team. You know, if someone asks me, what's my favorite NBA team? I don't have one. But I have friends on each team. I, I like them as players. But I watch that game because of them. Um, so, you know, at some point in time, the NFL catches up to it and understands that, yes, the Shield, I guess it's, it's, yes, it's been that way for a certain period, a long period of time. But you know, it's time to change. You know, things are evolving. Uh, you have to be able to move with times. Yeah, absolutely, Sean. Uh, let's finish out this way. A year from now, or even, let's say, two years from now, we in the sports business media are still talking about, oh, a television ratings decline. Let's say that happens. If that's the case, what do you think the NFL should do or could do? What's one or two changes that you think the league ought to be considering making, whether it's distribution or TV or the rules or the rule book or the product on the field, something you think that the league is, is going to have to change in the next couple of years if it wants to stay at the very top of American pro sports? Well, for one, I think that they did something really good in the past year or so, which was starting to broadcast some of the games on Twitter. Yeah. Right? They also had the Amazon deal. They have to find ways to stay connected to the youth because the youth are one day going to be adults. And you want them to start getting involved with the youth right away. And so whatever platform the youth is watching on, whether it's, it is Amazon or whether it is that, they need to go and find whatever youth app 
to stream these games. That way they start watching as a kid. You know, when I was when I was a kid, I was watching the, the NFL uh, and, and the games on TV. Well, the kids are not watching TV anymore. So they right. need to open open up the doors even more than just Amazon, even more than just Twitter. Whatever youth app or whatever youth platform you have out there, that's what they need to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's smart. Well, Sean, it's uh, it's great watching you post-playing career, and uh, we'll be keeping an eye on you. I'm sure we'll talk again. I appreciate it, man. You got it. Thanks for having me. Okay, thanks, Sean. All right, that was Sean Merriman, former Chargers veteran, a three-time Pro Bowler, and, of course, I remember watching Sean Merriman play when I was younger uh, as a Patriots fan. We always saw the Chargers a couple times during the season, saw them in the, in the postseason, and, uh, hey, too bad that we can't say, oh, when you were in the Super Bowl. But usually it was the Pats that, uh, that quashed that dream for the Chargers. And I'm a personal fan of Phil Rivers, uh, the Chargers' longtime quarterback. I think that he's underrated. But anyway, it's good to get an actual player's perspective on the game. And I think this will be a good Super Bowl. But, of course, as everyone has noted, very obviously, it would be a better game if Carson Wentz were starting. It'll be interesting to see whether Nick Foles can keep playing well. Uh, he has surprised and impressed as the starter since Wentz went down with injury. And I thought that uh, Merriman's right to say that a sponsorship matters more for the player. I think that's what I got out of that than for the brand. Something like Under Armour and getting that deal quietly over the summer is big for Foles. Let's say that he's good enough to get a starting job next season and it isn't with the Eagles. Well, there you go. I mean, let's say he plays great for another season. He could be Under Armour's next big football star. Uh, I actually, on a, on a related note, don't think that Under Armour really uses its football-sponsored athletes that much. You don't really see Brady prominently in its advertising. Same with Cam Newton. You see Under Armour push Curry hard. And as I've written on Yahoo Finance, I think part of Under Armour's recent financial struggles are because it has focused so much on basketball. And as we know, it's not just Under Armour's fault, but this is industry-wide. The sales of basketball sneakers have been way down in the last two years. So Under Armour kind of built its footwear business on basketball and on curry. And now that's a problem. So maybe we'll see Under Armour do more in football. I will be enjoying the game. I hope that you will, too. We've certainly talked the Patriots angle to death and whether the repeated dominance of the Pats is bad for the league. I don't think it is bad for the league. What can you do? And as we said last episode with my colleague Kevin Chupka, sports hate is a powerful aphrodisiac. So for all my New Yorker friends who are fans of the Giants and hate the Pats, I think if they didn't have the Pats around to hate, football would be a lot less interesting, just like I feel about the Yankees in baseball. So enjoy the Super Bowl, and we will be back next week, maybe to talk about a different sport. Remember always to rate, review, and subscribe to this Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. We're on every podcast platform, so wherever you listen to us, keep listening. Thanks. Goodbye. Goodbye.